Okay, so we're going into this message now tonight as we continue this series on James. Uh, just so you know, too, next week we're going to talk about healing as we conclude this series. So it's going to be really cool. We'll have an opportunity to come forward and pray for healing as James talks about at the end of chapter 5. But tonight I want to talk about your heart. We're going to talk about your heart tonight. And the title of this message, if you're taking notes, is Your Treasure Will Testify. Your Treasure Will Testify. So go to James chapter five, starting in verse one. It says, look here, you rich people. You know it's gonna be good already, right? <laughs> Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those whose harvest, uh, who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. So the context of this passage, James is writing to these wealthy landowners who were very rich. I think some of them were Christians, some of them were maybe not Christians, and he opens up a can, he starts laying the smack down, he says, listen here, you rich people. And what happened was that these wealthy landowners, they were taking advantage of the poor people who were working their fields. And many of the early church Christians were very poor, and they were working these fields, and they were not getting paid for their hard day's work. These landowners were just taking advantage of them. They had all the power, and, and these poor people couldn't even do anything. There was no way they could get restitution. They were just crying out to God, Lord, hear our cries. We are hungry. We've been robbed. We've been taken advantage of. Imagine how difficult that would be if you were coming home at the end of a hard day's work. You had been sweating. You're covered in dirt, and you have to tell your kids, sorry, kids, there will be no dinner tonight. Well, what's wrong, Dad? Like, did you not go to work today? Oh, I went to work, and Dad worked all day, but my boss just decided not to pay me. And so this was something that James rebuked these rich people over, and, and we read that God heard their cries. God heard their cries, and God was not happy about it. I'm going to talk more about that in a second. The Bible has a lot to say about rich people and poor people. The Bible talks about wealth. In all kinds of ways, it talks about saving and spending and budgets and taxes and building a business, all these things the Bible talks about. And Jesus actually talked about the rich. One of the things he said in Mark 10, verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This is a passage that has confused and bewildered people for hundreds of years. People have wrestled with it and, and worried about it. What did he mean by that? How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Why is it hard? Is it because God doesn't like rich people? No, it's not, that's not what he's saying. He's saying it's hard because when you're wealthy, when you have riches, it's very easy to trust your wealth instead of trusting God. So Jesus is very correct when he says it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. But because of that verse, there's been a misconception that God doesn't like rich people. He doesn't like wealthy people. And that's not true. There are four categories of wealth in the Bible. There are the ungodly poor, the godly poor, the ungodly rich, and the godly rich. Okay, four categories of wealth. 
They're all there. We'll talk through them. And as we talk through these, you can try and figure out which category you fall into. Okay. On the ungodly poor, you're like, oh, that's, that's uh, maybe me, you know? <laughs> like, um, here you go. The ungodly poor. Proverbs warns that some people are going to be poor because of laziness, foolish decisions, or stubbornness. Here's the Bible says, and some people are lazy, Proverbs 21. Despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin, for their hands refuse to work. Right? You know some people in your life probably are lazy, right? And they always complain about, you know, well, well they didn't really give me a fair chance, or I'd really like to do this one day, but they're lazy. They just refuse to do the work. It's always funny to me that lazy people never think they're lazy, like, I've never heard a lazy person say, like, yeah, you know, I just can't get ahead. I'm lazy, right? Like, they, they just don't say it. But that's a problem for some people. Then there are foolish people. Proverbs 28. Those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. Now, you know, there's a certain element of following after your dreams where, man, that's, that can be a good thing. But then we know that there are some people, they just chase fantasies, unrealistic expectations. We kind of get this message out of Hollywood. You know, if you come to Hollywood, the land of opportunity, you can be like this wealthy, famous, beautiful actress. You can be like this famous, rich movie star. But for every one of these rich movie stars, there's like a gazillion people who are scraping by, whose dreams didn't pan out. And we read in Proverbs, some people chase after fantasies and they get their fill of poverty. Today, I think in this culture, sometimes we have people, you know, they'll, they'll go out and they'll spend money every single week on lottery tickets. Hello. Chasing fantasies. And what do they get? They're filled of poverty. Then there are people who are stubborn. Proverbs 13 says, poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction. Some people just don't listen, right? Some people in this room will still be Poor and struggling next year because you'll ignore what I say tonight. Hopefully not you. Then, well, here, here's what the Bible says to the ungodly poor, okay? The lazy, the foolish, the stubborn. Maybe you should try it God's way. Yeah? Okay, what you're doing isn't working. Maybe you should try it God's way. Then there's the godly poor. These are people who are godly. They love the Lord, but they just don't have a lot. There was a misconception throughout much of history that if you were poor, that means God had forsaken you, that you had done something wrong, that you were not favored. That's not true. There are very godly people who just happen to be poor. Some of you grew up in a house like that. Jesus was poor. So if being good guaranteed that you would be wealthy, I think it would have worked for Jesus. But his family was poor. Most of the 12 disciples were poor. We read in the New Testament about Lazarus, the beggar who sat outside the gates of the rich man, but he went to paradise. He was a godly man, even though he was poor. And here's what the Bible says to those who are godly and poor. First, the Bible says, God has your back. You godly poor people, God has your back. Here's what he says in Proverbs 22. Don't rob the poor just because you can or exploit the needy in court. For the Lord is their defender. He will ruin anyone who ruins them. God's got your back. The godly poor. Another translation says this. If you rob the poor, God will rob you of your life. Ooh, don't mess with God's poor people. He cares about the poor. Then we see this in scripture, that God uses the poor for great purpose. Psalm 113 says, he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. 
This is amazing. We take this for granted, honestly, as Americans, because we live in the land of the free, the home of the brave, equal opportunity, where here in America, if you work hard and, and you're persistent in this day and age, you will get ahead. You can succeed regardless of what class you were born into. You can get ahead in this country. But for much of humanity, that was not the case. We forget. We forget how it was throughout history that if you were born to poor people throughout most of history, then you stayed poor. The chances of you getting ahead or getting out of that situation were nil. You were not going to kiss a frog that turned into a prince. You were not going to get magic beans that got you out of your situation, okay? Like you are going to stay poor. And we see that we, we see that God uses the poor throughout scripture. He elevates them and uses them for a great purpose, which is amazing because we think that, that you know, anyone should be able to succeed in our country. But again, throughout history, if you were poor, then you weren't gonna be able to do anything important. You were just gonna be kind of a poor person. You weren't gonna matter. But God, for the godly poor, he elevates them and he uses them for a great purpose. Here's another message to the godly poor. You won't be poor for long. Luke 6, 20, Jesus says this, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. So anyone, even if you're poor throughout the rest of this life, if you're a follower of Jesus, when you enter into the kingdom of God, there will come a day when you will receive everything you need. You will be one of the co-heirs of Christ, inheriting the riches of Jesus throughout all eternity. And the time that you were poor will become a smaller and smaller, little infinitesimal, just like tiny little part of your life. And you'll look back 100,000 years and be like, remember, remember 100,000 years ago when I was poor and we were scraping by? Man, now I'm in heaven in my mansion and crazy, right? And you'll think back on the time that you're poor and you're like, you'll just appreciate your wealth even more in heaven. It'll be incredible. So you won't stay poor for long. The message throughout scripture to the godly poor is this. God loves you. He will provide for you and your future is bright. Okay. Then there's the ungodly rich. There are ungodly wealthy people throughout scripture like Pharaoh who oppressed the People of God kept them as slaves in Egypt. You see King Herod in the New Testament, very wealthy, built buildings all over Jerusalem in the Middle East, but he was a wicked man. Uh, the rich young ruler is one example in the New Testament. He came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus you know, told him, kind of led him on a little course of self-discovery, and the rich young ruler was like, well, yeah, I've done all these things. I've kept all the commandments. And Jesus was like, no, you haven't. And so then he, he says to him, okay, fine, if you want to be saved, then sell all your possessions and come follow me. And it says in the Bible that the rich young ruler, he went away sad because he had many possessions. He was rich, but he was not willing to part with those riches for Jesus. And it just highlighted the fact that he was ungodly. Then James, in our passage, He's talking to rich, ungodly people. He said in verse five, you have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. These people were ungodly. And the Bible's message to the ungodly rich is this. You can hoard, you can spend, you can live your life in luxury, but ultimately your wealth will fade away. Then there's the godly rich. The godly rich. There are godly, wealthy people who were successful throughout all of Scripture, like Abraham. He was godly and he was wealthy. That guy had flocks on flocks. Today we have stocks. He had flocks. 
Then there was King Josiah. He was wealthy and, and he loved the Lord. There was Joseph of Arimathea in the New Testament. He gave Jesus his tomb so that Jesus could have a proper burial when he was killed on the cross. He only actually bar, let, let Jesus borrow his tomb. He got it back pretty quick. But he was wealthy and he loved God. So we see that there are godly rich people in the Bible as well. So you kind of heard these categories. There are the ungodly poor, the godly poor, the ungodly rich, and the godly rich. Which category are you in? Think about it. And as you think about it, let me just give you this to consider. You are in the top 1% of earners in the world if you make over $32,500. Okay, so now what category are you in? Some of you were like, oh, I'm poor. I'm po- I am poor. But then, if you make over 32.5, you're in the top 1% of earners in the world. Isn't that incredible? I mean, someone here is right now, I'm rich, right? Like, she wouldn't marry me because I didn't have, go- like, I'm rich, right? It's, we are, we are so wealthy, but we don't always feel like it. We don't always feel like we're rich. We, a lot of you would say, I don't feel rich. The reason you don't feel rich is because you lack perspective. Amen? Amen. And it, it's true. We are so blessed to be born in America in this day and age, at this time, where we can receive all this, this goodness, this wealth, and get ahead. And we forget what it's like for most people on the planet. And so we kind of get this narrow perspective, and we forget how blessed we are. I wish we could do this. I wish we could teleport someone into your house from a place like Haiti. I wish we could. Oh, it'd be so good for us if we could just teleport a guy into your house from Haiti. Poof, he's there in your house. He'd be like, whoa. Am I in the president of the United States' house? He'd be like, no, it's just me. I'm just a regular guy. Wow, this house is so much nicer than any house I've ever been in. What's that? What's that box? That's called a refrigerator. That's where we keep our food cool throughout the week so that we can enjoy it whenever we want. Amazing. So you don't have to go to the market every day. No, we just go. We get whatever we want. It stays good all week. That's so convenient. What are all these other boxes? They're cabinets and cupboards. What, what are they for? We keep our extra food there. You have extra food? Yes, we have so much extra food that we actually throw away a lot of food very often because we don't get to it. You have so much food that you throw food away? What, what, what is this? This is crazy. And then he'd say, man, I noticed that it's so nice in here. It's very hot outside. This place is very hot, but it's very pleasant in here. How is this possible? And you'd say, well, in Arizona, we have this thing called an air conditioner. And he'd say, is this magic? And you'd say, no, it's science. <laughs> that's amazing we can make it whatever temperature we want that's so crazy what, what is that room that's a restroom oh you sleep in there it's very nice no 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 that's not what we do that's the room where we get rid of things we don't want anymore oh I see very convenient in my nation we have a hole in my backyard for that uh, but this seems better uh, why, why are there so many rooms in this house does the village live with you no no this is just that we have a room for everyone in my family to sleep in their own room oh in my, in my family we all sleep in the same room and I wish we had that perspective that we are so wealthy and so blessed and so rich because we are we forget, but we are. Oh, if you make over 32.5 in your household, top 1%, you're a one percenter. Maybe some of you aren't quite there, but, but you're still, by world standards today, very, very wealthy. 
So because we're God's people, we should be godly stewards. You're allowed to say amen tonight, just so you know. It's, it's very important. Okay. The Bible can basically be broken down into three topics. All of the Bible could be categorized in three different topics. There is suffering, salvation, and stewardship. The Bible talks about suffering and it says there is sin and disease and death in the world. It talks about salvation and says that God's plan was to send Jesus into the world to save us from sin and sickness, disease, and death, and that through Jesus we can be saved from sin, and we have hope that eventually suffering will cease, and that if we're still experiencing suffering, we can get through it, and there will be a better day. So there's suffering and salvation, but then there's stewardship. Stewardship is something that people don't really use that word as much anymore, and maybe you're not really sure what stewardship means. I'll give you the definition. It's the careful and responsible management of someone else's possessions which have been entrusted to your care. That's a steward. Everyone is a steward. Everyone is a steward. You do not have the option of not being a steward. You can't opt out when you sign up to be a Christian. Like, I don't want to be a steward. You're automatically a steward. Even people who do not love God are stewards. So you're a steward. The choice is, are you a good steward or a bad steward? Are, you're someone who is responsible for managing someone else's possessions. Everyone's a steward, good or bad. And here is what godly stewards understand. First, they understand everything is God's. Okay, godly stewards realize it's all God's. Everything under heaven is God's. He created it all. It's all his stuff. I'm just a manager who temporarily manages God's stuff. Even the kids that you're responsible for, you're a steward of your children. They're God's kids. Some of you would worry less about your kids if you remembered they're God's kids. We're stewards of, of our kids. We're stewards of wealth. We're stewards of all the opportunities that we have and our talents and our treasures, our time. We're stewards. There are things that belong to God, but we have been entrusted with them to manage them responsibly and carefully the right way. Here's what Job 41 says. Who has given me anything that I need to pay back? Everything under heaven is mine. This is God speaking. Everything is God's, and godly stewards realize that. Haggai 2.8 The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. It's all God's. He's saying it's all mine. It sounds like a Kanye song. The silver is mine. The gold is mine. Everything under heaven is mine. Like he's like, oh, but Jesus is better than Jesus. You know what I'm saying? If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's because never mind. (laughs) But godly stewards understand it's all God's. It's all his. I'm just a manager. It's his. You have to understand that. It's all God's. Amen, church? All right, help me out tonight. You can, you can say amen. Act like you love your pastor. Help me preach this message, all right? Here's the next thing godly stewards understand. A tenth is God's. You are so on point tonight. Okay, godly stewards understand a tenth is God's. A tenth is God's. That's where the word tithe comes from. It means tenth. And it's God's. Now, there's a message I did last fall. You can go on the app and look it up in a series called The Heart and the Harvest. And I did a sermon called God Wants Your Heart. And I laid out in great detail all the biblical uh, evidence, what the Bible says about giving, tithing, everything you could want to know about what the Bible says about giving and tithing. So I don't have time to go into all that tonight, but go back and listen to that. God Wants Your Heart is what it's called. It's on the app. 
And we see as godly stewards throughout the Bible that a tenth of everything that we get in our lives is God's and should flow to God. Here's the first example of tithing in the Bible. Genesis 14. And he, who was the priest, blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. He, the priest, was named Melchizedek, and what happened is that Abram just achieved this great victory in battle, and he was coming with all this loot and all this possessions, all this treasure he had just accumulated, and the priest said, God has blessed you. And that's true for us, right? God has blessed you. He said, God has delivered your enemies into your hand. Well, for us, what is that? Well, God has given us victory over sin and death through Jesus. And then he said, blessed be God most high. You know that we actually bless God when we give to him, when we are generous, when we bring our tithe? And then we saw Abram gave him a tenth of everything he had. In the Bible, 10 is often symbolic of the whole. It's representative of everything. Ten is a number of completion in the Bible. So one-tenth symbolizes the whole. When you give God that tithe, it's like you're symbolically saying, God, this tithe shows that I believe everything I have came from you. So that first 10%, it's a tithe, it's God's. We don't just tip God like a barista. He wants a tenth just like baptism is a symbol, where you go underwater, you come back out, it symbolizes your new life in Christ. Tithing is a symbol. It's a powerful spiritual symbol that everything is God's, okay? So godly stewards understand everything is God's, a tenth is God's, and here's the next thing. Godly stewards understand first place is God's. First place is God's. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. God comes first, and godly stewards know this. He is only, always, first, because he is God. He's in the position of honor. One way you could understand this is this. If it was your birthday, you would get the first piece of birthday cake, right? You would, because it's your birthday. You're the birthday boy. You're the birthday girl. This day is for you. We honor you, so you get the first piece of cake. If I came to your birthday, I was like, happy birthday, time to cut the, the cake, blow out the candles, and then I cut your cake, and I took a half of it to the other room, you'd be like, get back here with my cake, right? Like, it's my cake. I'm first. So we as Christians say, God, we honor you. You're our Lord. You're our King. You're first in our lives. You're first. You get the first piece. But a lot of people, they don't, they don't do that. They're like, yeah, God is good, and, and I'm a Christian, but God, get behind me in line and wait your turn. Wait till, wait till I get my... Actually, you know what, God? You should probably get back a little further behind Verizon and behind AT&T and, and behind Wells Fargo. Just keep moving back, God. We'll see if we get any cake left over for you. You're allowed to still say amen, right? Like, you're allowed to say, it's true. Like, uh, and this is what we have to understand, that first place is God. As wealth comes into our life, whether we're paid or we receive an inheritance, or we get a commission check, we say, God, I know that everything is yours. I'm bringing you the first 10% because you're number one in my life. 
So I know that this is a difficult concept for some people to understand, and I want to help you understand this. I saw a great illustration recently from a pastor I love named Rob Kerderling. I want to show you what it looks like. So I've got some helpers that are going to help me make this point very clear that everything is God's. And as wealth comes into our life, we don't often really harvest produce any longer uh, because most of you aren't farmers. But when we get paid, we give God the first 10%. So I get this first bag of potatoes, and God, you're getting the first bag bag of potatoes. And God says, I want the 10th. I want the tithe. And God lets us keep nine bags of potatoes, which is good because I love potatoes. I'm not on no gluten-free diet, y'all. Like I'm going to eat me some potatoes. And then I got a cabbage. Okay. Apparently uh, we got some Germans here, right? Like God says, I want the first cabbage, the tithe. The first is mine. You get to keep nine cabbages here. This is your table. It's for you. Bag of apples comes into my life. I got some apples now, 10 bags. God wants the first bag of apples, but look what he does. He lets me keep nine bags of apples. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. So I'm going to be healthy. I got a cantaloupe. All right, God, you get the first cantaloupe because everything is yours. I'm bringing it to you to symbolize that. And God's like, I'm going to let you keep nine cantaloupes. You have cantaloupes for days. It's amazing. And then we see that God, okay, God brought this fruit into my life. I don't even know what it is. It's a, a butternut squash. I don't usually deal with it in this form, <laughs> but, but I'm like, thank you, Lord. It comes from you. So you get the first, the, the 10%, the tithe It's yours. You get the first one. And I got nine butternut squash. I'm ready for Thanksgiving. It's amazing. Coconuts. I like coconuts, but God, I'm really grateful that you bless me. And, and I want to recognize that you bless me. So you get the first coconut and God's like, okay, cool. You get to enjoy nine coconuts. And then here is some strange it's papaya. I almost thought it was a cucumber. Papaya. God's like, I want the first papaya. All right, God, it's yours. I'm giving you the 10th. That one's yours. God's like, you get to enjoy nine papayas. I don't even know if I like them, but well, whatever. I'm giving God his. I get to keep mine. Then there's a pineapple. It's getting tropical in here. So God, thank you for this pineapple. It's amazing. And I'm going to bring it to you. And I'm so grateful that I get to enjoy nine pineapples. One for God, but nine get to stay with me. God's so generous. It's crazy. And then I've got a pear. Man, this is great. I love pears. So I'm going to give God the 10th. It's his. It's just a pattern in your life. You notice how as we give God the first 10%, our table starts to just get fuller and fuller. And as, as more comes into our life, we just keep putting God first. So I'm like, what is this? It's a mango. It's a mango. God, you get the first mango. I get to keep 10 or nine mangoes. One for God, nine for me. 10% for God, 90% for me. It's amazing. A lemon. We got lemons for days in Arizona. People are always like, Pastor Ryan, you know anyone who wants lemons? I'm like, no, nobody wants your lemons. Throw them away. But, but anyways, thank you, God, for lemons. I like them in my Diet Coke. So here you go. Lemon for God. I get to keep nine lemons. A bag of oranges. Love the oranges, right? But I got to give God his first because he's in first place. God, there's your tithe. I get to keep nine bags of oranges for me. God just wants one. I get to keep nine of them. And then we get bananas. I got bananas. So God, bananas are great. Potassium, keep those cramps away. Lord, there's your bananas. Actually, I don't think this is good enough bananas for God. I'm going to give God this banana. These are better. Yeah, no, I don't like these ones either. God's got to get the best portion. Give me those ones. Yeah, yeah. There you go, God. These are your bananas. Thank you for letting me hold on to nine bananas. Broccoli. God, God doesn't want broccoli, no. 
No, okay, he wants broccoli, it's good for us. Sometimes he gives us not what we want, but what we need. So God, you get the first broccoli. Enjoy it, Lord. Maybe you'll, I actually like broccoli, so thank you, Lord. Uh, and then the grapes, God, the fruit of the vine, right? And God, God's going to get the first 10% of all the grapes that he's blessed me with. So God, 10% is yours. This is all you ask for. And then you let us enjoy and live on 90%. Do you see how much this is? This is incredible. Look at how, how much we have right here. And God hasn't even blessed it yet. But it's so much, there, there's so much to enjoy and to live off of. Dave Ramsey says, you don't even need a miracle in America to live off of the 90%. If you'll just make a budget and have self-control and not get further into debt, buying things that you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't even know. But look how much you have. It's 90%. It's so much. This table's overflowing with goodness. And then this is God's. This is God's table. He said, bring me the tithe, the first 10%. It's his. This is a pretty incredible situation that God lets us hold on to this much. He could have asked for more, but he just said, I want the symbolic representation that everything you have, you recognize it came from me and that it's all, it's all mine. I love this. And it helps us realize how much we really have. Right? If you feel like, man, I just don't have enough, it's not because you have a money problem, you have a spending problem. Amen. Look how much we have. But here's what the Bible says about this situation. In Malachi 3, 7, God says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? in your tithes and contributions. That's, that's this stuff. He says, you're cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. He wants the full 10%, and in the Bible times, the storehouse was the temple, and we don't have the temple anymore. We have local churches, so wherever you go to your local church, that's the storehouse where you bring your tithe. He says, bring it to the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. This is the one place God says, go ahead, make my day. Put me to the test. See what I do. He says, see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. It's a powerful passage. There's so much truth in it. Okay, so here's what God said. He said, return to me. Return to me. The people had strayed from God. He said, come back to me. And they're like, okay, well, how should we come back? Think about all the things God could have said. He could have said, listen to more worship songs. You just should pray a little more. You should serve some extra hours in your church. But no, how did God say, return to me by bringing the full tithe to me. Bring the full tithe to me. See, a heart that is moving towards God is bringing a tithe. That's what the Bible shows us. When you bring God that 10%, it keeps your heart aligned with God's heart. And you'll find that you just will naturally flow closer to the Lord. You'll come closer to Jesus. God says, return to me and bring the tithe, the whole tithe to me. I want you to come back. I want you to come back. Bring me the tithe. And then we, we notice in that passage, God said, you're robbing me. He said, you're, you're eating off of my table, even though I gave you all this. 
And that's what a lot of people do. They don't realize they're robbing God, maybe, but they are. And it's just crazy when you think about all that God wants to allow us to enjoy, but then we're like, no, no, I'm gonna get some of God's stuff. Like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get into here and I'm just gonna like get one of God's apples. And you're like, well, you got all these apples. You're like, no, 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 but if I get one of God's, then I'll have more for me. <laughs> right, so you think about how shady this feels, how sneaky it feels, you know. You're like, I got one of your apples, guy. <laughs> I don't wanna choke on an apple. Just, I'm just gonna spit it out. We'll clean it up later. You know, it's, like, it's crazy to think about, I'm gonna rob God's table even though he's given me all of this. But people rob God. And then he says, when you bring me the full tithe, I'm going to protect you from the devourer. I'm going to protect this. I'm going to protect this. And what was the devourer? In biblical times, when they would farm and before they bring in their harvest, they had to worry about the devourer. And that was really pests and disease. There was pestilence, like bugs and rodents that would eat the crop sometimes. And there was disease. Did you know plants could get sick? So these plants, they could die from disease. But God said, when you bring me this tithe, what I'm going to do is I'm going to supernaturally protect the rest. And you might be thinking, well, what's the devourer now? It's pest and disease. It's pest and disease. Who's the pest? It's the enemy. There's an enemy of God's people. His name is Satan. The Bible says he roars around like a lion looking for whom he may devour. He looks to steal, kill, and destroy. He would not love anything more than to destroy your soul, but because he can't really do that all the time and we have a free will to choose God, you know, what he loves to do is he loves to try to just kind of mess with you and steal some of your stuff. And, and so he'd love to mess with you. He'd love to kind of get involved in your life and, and, and kind of like eat away at some of your stuff and just kind of, you know, kind of chip away at it. But God's like, no, I'll rebuke the devourer, right? Get your hands off his stuff. It's protected, Right? And then there's disease. Like, what's disease? Well, the disease that we have to worry about is the disease of sinfulness. In our hearts, we have a sinful nature. But God tells us that when we tithe, he'll protect us from disease, from the devourer. Well, how does that work? Well, you see, when we bring God the first 10%, we bring it to God, it aligns our hearts with God. And as we grow closer to God and we become more like Jesus, we start to look less like our old sinful selves. And so you realize that before we met Jesus, a lot of you know this, we would make foolish choices, we would make sinful choices, and a lot of those choices cost us, right? You'd be like, man, I can't figure out where all my stuff goes. You're like, oh, and it's like, well, bro, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. And so it's just like you, this stuff just kind of like fades away. You're like, well, you know, I got drunk again and got a DUI, so that'll be a lot of fines. And then, uh, you know, well, I, I was gambling because I have a gambling problem. So, you know, the devourers eating away at my stuff. And then you'll get to the end of the year and you'll be like, man, where did it all even go? Well, that's just how it works. When we don't do it God's way, we just kind of lose what we have, and we're like, I, I just don't even understand where it goes. But when we bring God the tithe, he's like, I'm going to start to protect this. I'm going to protect it. And then God, he goes on to say, not only that, but I'm going to bless you. When you bring me a tithe, even though I leave you all this, just because I love you and I'm generous, I'm going to bless you. So in the Bible says, I'm going to open the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing so much that you cannot even contain it. Right? 
an overflowing blessing. There's grapes up here. There's oranges everywhere. All right. You can, you can see it's like more than you can even contain this supernatural blessing that God brings. It's amazing. And we want this in our lives. This is the benefit of tithing. He says, I'm going to protect you. James kind of warned us, verse 2, he said, your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are like moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. He was talking to these rich people whose stuff was just going to kind of fade away. Just like we read in Malachi, the, the devourer. Jesus, though, he said in Matthew 6, 20, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. God says, not only am I going to protect this, but whenever you bring anything to my table, it's going to be credited to your account in heaven. You're laying up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And they're not going to be fading away. The enemy's not going to destroy them. We want this in our lives. And it's amazing how God does this. It's supernatural. It's profoundly spiritual. I can't even explain it, but it never fails. If you'll talk to a family who tithes like this, it's amazing. They'll say, I don't even know how it all works, but it works, Right? They'll say, ever since I've been tithing, I was talking to multiple people today after service. I love hearing all the testimonies. They'll say, ever since I've been tithing, it's like I've just been blessed, and I've been blessed, and I've been blessed, and not even just financially, but, but one of my friends was telling me today after church, it's like as I bring God my tithe, it's like my heart is just more connected to God, and I care about what's happening in my church, and I want to be close to God. And he said, it's incredible how it works. This is how it goes. Families that tithe, they'll get to the end of the year and they'll be like, man, I don't even know. I have just more left over. It's like, it's just stretched out. And I'm thinking, like, did I forget to pay my taxes or something? Like, how is there, how is there so much left over? But God, he just, he blesses and he protects. Now, I want to show you a picture from Cuba. Picture from Cuba. This is a church in Cuba where our missions team just went. Pastor Paul took this picture just a couple weeks ago. Pastor Paul is right here. And so what is happening in this picture is in this Cuban church that Pastor Paul visited, there's all these slots with letters, right? The letters represent the first letter of people's last names. Every family in the church has an envelope in their appropriate slot. So when they come to church, they pull their envelope out and they put their tithe in it. And it's like not even private. You can imagine, you know, you're pulling out your, your stack of envelopes, you're looking for your name, and you're like, oh, the... The butlers are having a good year. Good for them. Uh, oh, good for you, Johnsons. Like, and you can see who hasn't paid their tithe. You know, you can see who has, right? Maybe, oh, man, she hasn't paid her tithes yet. She must be sick. That's crazy. Uh, but, but this is how it goes. And, and you know why they can do this? Because in the Cuban church, like 98% of the church tithes. Like almost everyone. Could you imagine if we did this in America? It wouldn't work. Because in the average American church, only 15 to 20% of people tithe. I think our church is a little above average, but this is the normal average in American churches, 15 to 20% tithe. And you think about that, it's so crazy when you realize the average Cuban, the average Cuban makes $23 a month. So if you have a teenager who's working at Starbucks as a barista, she makes more in two hours than the average Cuban makes in a month. And yet they faithfully bring God their tithe. How is it possible they could be so poor, but then all of them do this. All of them bring God their tithe. It's because in their poorness, they've learned to trust God to provide for them and everything they have. 
as Americans who are the richest people in the history of the world, even though we have all of this, we struggle to trust God. And we think, I can't give God 10% because I won't have enough. Do you now understand what Jesus was saying when he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? It makes sense now, doesn't it? So for us to get our stuff from, from here to God's table, there's usually some barriers here that we have to get through. There's barriers, things that stop us from being generous and obedient to God. Things like fear. We're afraid that if I give God this 10%, if I give God one bag of apples or oranges or one pineapple, then, then my nine bag of oranges and apples, my nine pineapples might not be enough. We're afraid. We're afraid that, that we won't have enough. But do you know that I have never been to one funeral for an American who has starved to death. Have any of you? Yeah. You know, hey, what happened to this guy? Oh, he starved to death. How'd that happen? He tithed. Just didn't have enough. He tithed to death. He was tithed to death. Just starved as he gave God. It doesn't happen. We fear, though, we're not going to have enough. So sometimes people are like, well, can I just do a little less? Can I maybe do like 5%? And the answer is no. Can I just do half? No, because God doesn't want half your heart. He wants your whole heart. So that's why he says, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse. We struggle with fear. We struggle with greed. We think, you know, well, this is mine. This is my stuff. I don't want to bring God 10% because then, you know, I won't have as much. I want, I want to keep it. I earned it. And the thing that will help us with greed is remembering I would not have any of this if it wasn't for God. And, and James talked about greed. He said, this corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. So many people who are greedy, they hoard. They hold on to what they have. And the Bible says your checking account, if you're a greedy person, is going to be testifying against you when you stand before God. So I want to ask you, when you stand before God, Will your checking account testify that you're a follower of Jesus or will it not? Greed is difficult and greed is a common problem in American churches. And then we have to get through rebellion. So fear and greed and stubborn rebellion. We, we, we have a hard time sometimes submitting fully to God. We say, like, well, I know what you're saying, Pastor Ryan, but I'm just not interested, not doing it. I refuse to listen. I'm not doing it. And you just got to know, God is saying, return to me. Return to me. I want all of your heart. Bring, bring the full tithe. I want your heart. Jesus is our Lord and King. And that's how we're saved, by making him Lord and King. We believe that he died for us and rose again. But ultimately, he said, follow me. We know he is our Lord. And being Lord means he's the master. He's our ruler. He's our king. It's not a democracy with us and Jesus. He's the ruler. He's Lord. I'm his servant. I say, God, I'm your servant for life. What I want doesn't even matter. I'm doing what you want because I know that your desires will lead me into greater blessing than I could even hope for. So, God, it's all yours. But what a lot of people do is they say, okay, well, God, you're my Lord. But then they say, except for my finances. You can be my Lord, but let's not really talk about the money. Okay, because money is so sensitive for us in our hearts. We struggle to submit fully to God and make him Lord of all. But one pastor said, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. You've got to make him Lord over all of your life, including your finances. 
and it's for your blessing. Now, think about what would be possible if American Christians tithed. If just the Christians in America, just America, would tithe. Currently, like I said, about 15 to 20% do, but if the rest of them tithe, there'd be 165 billion extra dollars per year invested into the kingdom of God. That's crazy. Billion with a B. And here's what would be possible. 30 billion would end world hunger and preventable diseases. 15 billion would provide clean drinking water and sanitization for everyone on the planet. 12 billion would eliminate illiteracy. People who can't get ahead, they don't have any education. They could be taught how to read. 1 billion, just one, would fully fund overseas missionaries to go everywhere in the world and there'd be a hundred billion left over per year. I think we could help some orphans and some single moms and we could help some churches that are struggling with a hundred billion, couldn't we? We could do some stuff to expand the kingdom of God. All that would be possible if we all just did, just in America, what God calls us to do. Do you see why the enemy would say, no, 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 you don't wanna do that. You don't wanna, you don't wanna do that. That's, that's not for you. Let other people deal with that. You don't need to do that. Think about what would be possible if we just obeyed God and we put him first. And then it, it goes on from there, and God even calls us to a higher level. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, Paul wrote this. He said, since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. The Corinthians, they were already tithing. That would have had not even been a conversation. It was just like, duh, that's just what you do. But then Paul, he wrote to them and he's like, I want you to be even more generous. And so they started collecting an offering to help out the church in Jerusalem. People they didn't even know, they just wanted to be a blessing. So they're just like, well, we're gonna just excel in this gracious act of giving because God will give you a grace to be generous beyond what you would have been able to do in your own strength, okay? This is a grace of giving. And so in your heart, as you start to discover the joy of giving, and that's my prayer of you, that, that as you start to tithe, it might be kind of scary, but then after a while, you start to realize, like, this is great. I can't imagine not doing this. I love that I get to give to God. I love when I get a raise, because then my tithe gets bigger, too. Like, it's so fun. So you start to say, like, God, I just want to give you, I just want to give you more, Lord. I want to, I want to just see if I can put more on your table. Is it possible that I could live with a little less, and I could give more to God, even, you know? And, and that's when you become a kingdom builder, and you're like, I don't even have to, but I just want to. Like, I want to get more on God's table because I'm generous and I love it. And then God says in his word, okay, I like it when you're like that. So uh, I'm going to do some of this because God says, you know, I'll continue to bless you in every way so that you can always be generous. That's how God works. It's so good. So maybe you're thinking right now, I thought at the beginning of this message, Ryan, you said you were gonna talk about our heart. I want you to know I am talking about your heart. My burden for you is that your heart will be a heart for God. And the quickest way to talk about your heart is to talk about money. That's why Jesus said where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. That's why some people feel awkward when we talk about money because it's a heart issue. There is nothing that talks to our heart like a conversation about money. And the Bible shows us that our giving reflects the condition of our heart. Our giving shows how we feel about Jesus. 
He's my Lord, he's my King, everything is his. I submit my life to him fully. I wanna obey him, I wanna follow him, and I've experienced the goodness of God and how he's blessed me and he's been faithful. So I wanna ask you, how is your heart? How's your heart? Do you have a heart for God? Would your treasure testify of that? And if it's not, if it's something that scares you or something you've wrestled with, I hope that you've been encouraged to trust God, to break through fear, to break through selfishness, to fully honor God with your wealth, knowing that God, he's first and it's all his anyway. And, and so I'm going to bring this tithe joyfully to him because it's, it's his and I don't, I don't want to rob him. I want to give him what's his. And then, and then he's going to bless me. It's crazy, but he just keeps doing it. It's amazing. So I pray that all of you would discover the joy of obeying God with your finances, honoring him and putting him first. It's so amazing. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for truth, Lord. And I ask that you'll help us to receive it with open hearts. God, you love us. And I know that you love everyone in this room, Lord. You love every person here, whether they tithe or don't tithe. You love them. And you don't need anything from us, but you want what's best for us. And that's why you're patient as you teach us this truth, because you know that this is your plan for our lives. And as we follow you, we'll be blessed. So God, help us in that. Help us to have faith, to trust you with our finances, God. You are a good father who provides for us faithfully. Lord, I'm so excited for the people in our church right now who are grabbing a hold of this in their heart, and I pray that you'll just solidify that growth of faith that's happening right now in their hearts. In their hearts right now, there's something welling up that says, I want to do this. I want to put God first. I can't wait for my next opportunity. And God, I, I affirm that. I pray that you'll just solidify it right now and grow that faith, God. Lord, we love you, and we thank you that you've given us everything we have. I just want to ask you to just to keep your heads bowed for a second, and I want to talk to you. If you're here and you'd say, well, I've never become a follower of Jesus. I'm not a Christian, and I need to be forgiven. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to become a part of God's family and experience everything that he has for me. You can take that step of faith tonight. Maybe you've never done that, or maybe you ran away from God a long time ago, and you know that he's been calling you back, and he's been saying, come back to me, return to me. And you can do that tonight. And I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer if you're ready to take that step of faith and become a follower of Christ. Just say in your heart, God, I need your forgiveness. I know that I've sinned, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. And I believe that he rose again on the third day like he said he would so that I could have victory over death and eternal life. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I want to follow you from this day forward. Thank you for loving me when I didn't deserve it, before I even loved you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Can we stand to our feet right now? God is good, amen? Listen, if you just prayed that prayer and accepted Jesus, I just wanna celebrate that with you. We love to celebrate that. We're not gonna embarrass you, but if you just ask Jesus into your life and you ask for forgiveness, just gonna ask you, shoot your hand up, right? Just shoot it up and say, that's me. One, God loves you. Two, welcome his family. Three, just shoot your hand up if you prayed that prayer. That's anyone say that's me. That's great, man. Anyone else? That's awesome. God is good, amen, church? He deserves our praise. He deserves our worship. We're going to sing this out and give him that praise that he deserves. Come on, let's sing this.